Hello, everyone. This is episode six of the Stronghold podcast, and uh, we have a special one today because I'm here with my wife, <laughs> Mrs. Charmaine Lim. She's one of the coaches here at Stronghold, and uh, this will be episode six of the podcast, but maybe episode one of the Wife Beating Chronicles, as this episode <laughs> is going to henceforth be known. Uh, Charmaine, are you nervous? How are you feeling? Uh, pretty nervous. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. All you got to do is just, just talk, pretend like there's nobody here. Okay. We already had a, a beer or two just to Warm get loose. Up. Warm it up, get a little loosey goosey. So I feel like uh, <laughs> I feel like before we start the podcast, I need to address the title because I am going to title this podcast "Wife Beating Chronicles," and it's a little offensive, but I say it tongue in cheek, of course. Uh, I wanted to do the podcast with you for a couple reasons. One was because I think it's interesting. Well, first of all, you're you're a female and you train, so that's mm-hmm. number one. Second of all, you're the spouse of somebody who does this for a living. And I think that you have uh, an interesting take on this because a lot of our training is, you know, it's martial arts training. It's difficult. It's all we're doing is jujitsu and Muay Thai and kicking each other and punching each other and choking each other. And you sort of just fell into this career path. <laughs> so I just wanted to get your take on, you know, if you could tell the listeners what it's like to live this life, I guess. Get beaten up by the husband. Yeah, yeah. regularly. <laughs> it is... Well, it's painful most of the time. <laughs> I go home always sore, bruised up, and it looks like I'm domestic abuse, you know? Yeah. Well, your mom actually thought it was. Yeah. I, I, did. <laughs> I, <laughs> I told me aside. <laughs> yeah, I told Charmaine as soon as I met her that at some point her her parents or someone she knows is going to ask her, like, uh, so just pull her to the side a little bit. Like, hey, does he beat you? <laughs> I fucking knew what was going to happen. And then literally it was the week of our wedding. It was the week of our wedding. Yeah, one week before we got married. And then her, <laughs> her mom pulls her aside. Like, she waits till I leave the room very strategically. I'm just, like, in the living room. No, we went out for dinner. And then she was just like, so does Luke beat you? <laughs> <laughs> just, it I was like, no, mom. Why would I be with him if he beats me? Well, I do beat you, but it's very strategic. But it's, it's <laughs> empowering, right? Martial arts for a woman. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't know why my mom would think that <laughs> my coach would beat me up. Well, that's kind of my job. Yeah. And, well, it's like I was talking to Ron on the last podcast. He's making jokes, and he's like, oh, why you kick your wife in the elbow and all <laughs> that kind of shit? <laughs> yeah, find me like, a good lawyer, Ron. Yeah, yeah. he said the last one, do you want a good lawyer or a great lawyer? A uh, very good one. <laughs> <laughs> but I told, uh, I told Ron, I was like, well, I wasn't trying to kick her in the elbow. I was trying to kick her in the head, and I just, you know, I missed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite weird, right? Because there's no way for you to improve your skill set without that happening. I mean, you're a coach at this gym, and I've been teaching you for years, and you just can't have one without the other. You can't do martial arts as a career and not get touched a little bit. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, hard for people to understand that. I also... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a lot smaller than you, too. So on if people are watching, it looks like you're abusing me. Yeah. Kind of. Hence, okay, so the name of this podcast, I'm going to title it Tongue in Cheek, The Wife Beating Chronicles. And there's actually a story behind that name. <laughs> we were training one day, and I said it to you as, like, a joke. I was just, like, because uh, we film each other. We film uh, some of our training segments, and, you know, we put them on the gym's Instagram, and we use it for marketing purposes and stuff. So we try to be active with sharing what we're doing at the gym. And I just made a joke to you one day, and I was like, oh, we should title it The Wife Beating Chronicles. <laughs> and then that was all. I, I just left it at that. And then, like, you shared the video the next day, and you did hashtag Wife Beating Chronicles. And, like, everybody commented <laughs> on the picture and started laughing Actually, at it. Actually, Anand gave me the idea to do that. Oh, he did? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Anand, shout out to you. <laughs> hashtag Wife Beating Chronicles. You, you're the one that gave her the idea. 
So uh, well, you came out with it, and then, and then I was like, you should probably tag that hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said it, but I'm not going to do it. Nobody has ever done that before. I'm the first You're post. The first <laughs> I yes. think so. So we're creating the hashtag now. So for all you martial arts uh, spouses out there, if you're training with your wife, let's start the hashtag wife beating chronicles because <laughs> uh, this culture we have today is too politically correct, and I say we just bring it all down with some offensive hashtags. The Singapore might ban you. <laughs> no, that's... Whatever. What are they going to do? Ban me? I am just have a little YouTube channel. I'm not anybody important. Uh. The other reason I thought it would be interesting to do a podcast with you, specifically you, is because, you know, <coughs> we live in a day and age where, like, everybody's busy. Everybody's sort of on their mobile devices. Everybody's doing their shit. And one of the reasons I wanted to start the podcast in general was because it's not often that you sit down and you talk with somebody for an hour or an hour and a half uninterrupted without looking at your phone mm. without uh talking to some you know if you have a group of people you go out with five or six people then it's totally normal to just sit there and maybe talk for an hour or two mm-hmm. but how often do you sit for one to two hours and talk uninterrupted with one person never we're gone dude do you, do you yeah, it's pretty rare right and it's even more rare. Okay, here's another question, not to get you in trouble because your your soon to be wife is right behind you, but <laughs> how often <laughs> how often do you sit around with your wife for two hours uninterrupted and just talk? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I'm sure it happens, especially when you first get together and stuff like it tends to happen more. But it's just because there's external external things going on. Your phone rings, work calls. You have other groups of friends who you also need to talk to, like sitting face-to-face with one person and talking for an hour and a half. That's pretty rare. Because yeah, it feels a bit awkward and forced. And with your spouse, yeah. I mean, it's even more rare because those interactions, the longer you be together, tend to be shorter and shorter and shorter because, you know, she has what she's doing and you have what you're doing and then life gets in the way and, you know, you, have, you watch Netflix and shit and, like, you're not, sit- <laughs> you're not sitting there for, like, a long hour and a half uninterrupted making eye contact with each other. So, you know, for me, I felt like I needed that in my life. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to start the podcast. And then to have someone like Charmaine on to sit here and talk with your spouse for an hour and a half uninterrupted, (laughs) I thought could be an interesting little social experiment, especially when you title the name of the episode, The Wife Beating Chronicles. (laughs) I figured that. (laughs) So what what do you think, Charmaine? What do you, uh, are you okay with The Wife Beating Chronicles? Yeah, I mean, I I kind (laughs) of, I mean... I do martial arts because I kind of like getting beaten up a little bit. Whoa. I mean, Whoa. <laughs> it's Calm not... Calm down, Wugong. <laughs> Wugong's fucking eyebrows just <laughs> popped off of his head. So, <laughs> it's not how it sounds. It's like, I just like a little bit of... Conflict. Conflict, yes. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think it's important to... I mean, that's what martial arts is about. It's about embracing that physical... The grind, right? The grind. You have people kicking and punching mm-hmm. you and you're trying to build your ability to be calm and relax under physical pressure and duress mm. and you're stressed out and someone's trying to choke you and you're just like, I want to fucking go home, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just this constant stream of that. I don't deal with conflict very well and I think with martial arts, it teaches me how to deal with, be more aggressive because yeah. I'm not aggressive at all. Very yeah. passive. Well, I was talking to Ron in the last podcast and I think typically with martial arts, there's two, I mean, every type comes and trains, but there's two big archetypes that you see more often than not and one is probably someone like me which is especially when I was younger somebody who was very aggressive Mm. very physically aggressive a lot of energy especially when I was like a teenager when I started training a little bit before that Mm. but you know you're a young kid preteen teenager you got a lot of aggression you have all this energy that's pent up 
and you need to figure out how to get that under control so it doesn't manifest itself in destructive ways. Mm. And then the other common archetype that you'll see is somebody who's maybe a bit more meek, mm-hmm. somebody who's more introverted, and they want to increase their aggression. They don't want to be pushed around anymore. They yep. don't want to feel weak. They don't want to do that kind of stuff. So then they are the ones that are called to martial arts. I think generally you see those types, and of course there's a large spectrum in between mm. but uh, those type of people i think that martial arts is, is really good for yeah. what, what benefits do you think you've seen on uh, myself yeah uh self-confidence a little bit more i mean pretty self-deprecating person so i think martial arts like build up my self-confidence and i'm more aggressive now and than i used to be even though i'm still pretty meek do you think it's like physical like what do you mean by aggressive how would you like if I ever get in an argument with someone, I'm usually the one who's like back down quickly and I would apologize first. I, I think that's the right thing to do, but sometimes you need to stand your ground. And I think, you know, martial arts teaches me to do that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like that with conflict too. Some, like sometimes you feel, you feel sorry for the conflict itself, but mm. you don't feel sorry necessarily for the things that you've done. Yes. And there's a distinction there, right? You don't want to apologize for everything. Because I you just do. want the conflict to be over. Yeah. But, you know. But sometimes you, yeah. need to, you need to stand your ground or people will just walk all over you. Mm. And I, that's, I think, another reason why you would be great to have on the podcast because you have that perspective. Unlike me, which is just when I was young, unbridled aggression that I just needed to get control of. Whereas you are finding a hobby and a craft and a skill that is based in aggression mm. and using that to sort of learn to stand your ground, learn to be stronger. Do you think that that, so uh, there's obviously the physical benefits, right? Mm-hmm. Like people that train, you're going to get stronger, you're going to get faster, you're going to get all that kind of shit tougher. But there's also a mental, mental clarity that you get, first of all, because it does build mental strength. Mm-hmm. But I think it also gives you, it exercises out a lot of the angst and the anxiety and the stress, which can give you another kind of clarity. Yeah, like I'm very small and I'm a girl who's really small. So I'm very vulnerable if I don't have something that I can, like if I don't know martial arts and I don't know how to protect myself, I'm going to be very self-conscious and don't have self-confidence in myself to protect myself. So like martial arts, like after... I tapped out my first guy. Like, I was so happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like... That's a beautiful moment, for sure. Yes. So, just gives you a little more... Without saying any names, do you remember the first time you tapped a guy? Yeah, I do. Do you know what it was with? When I was, like, a three-stripe white belt, I tapped out a guy who was about my size. So, it it wasn't much, but it was something. It's like, yes, I can do this. So, I stuck with it. What was it with? Do you remember? Uh, It was at Trifecta. Mm. Yeah. You know the submission? Uh, rear naked choke. Rear naked choke. Yeah. Classic. I tapped my first submission was a guillotine. Ah. Yeah. Your first ever submission was mm-hmm. a guillotine. Hell yeah. Yeah. As someone who has, uh, I would dare say, a pretty good guillotine. I'm happy <laughs> to say that was your first submission. Although you sort of don't really do it these days. Actually, Italo taught me how to do that. God damn you, Italo. <laughs> guillotine is supposed to be my move. Somebody double legged me and then I got a guillotine and then I just finished it from there. Yeah. And then for the listeners who don't know, my wife is a purple belt. Uh, she's been training for about four years. She's trained uh, full time since the very beginning. You've trained six days a week since you started. Mm. You know, I, I feel like some people give me flack because you get promoted quickly, but you, especially back in the trifecta days, since since then you've sort of taken a more MMA approach. Mm. Now you do basically equal part striking and grappling, 
but back when you first started, you know, you'd do Muay Thai a couple times a week, but you would do two to three hours of jiu-jitsu sometimes a day. I think when I first joined, I did Muay Thai and then jiu-jitsu, and then I realized it's just, like, too much because I was doing, like, three hours a day, like, six or seven days a week. Yeah, and then I did it for, like, three months, and I was like, I, I just think I need to focus on one. Dude, you did it longer than three months. You did it because the old, the old trifecta schedule was, like, beginner jiu-jitsu, and then it was, like, next level jiu-jitsu, and then you would do Muay Thai, and mm. then sometimes it was something on and top that of that. And that was, like, I just went in. I didn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't do exercise like that before. Yeah, you competed. For, uh, for people that don't know, you did your first jiu-jitsu competition, like, fucking six weeks, four, four or six weeks like the first <laughs> month, basically, of training. I remember we were at this competition, right? I mean, you had a month of training. You didn't know shit. No. <laughs> but the first competition you ever did was, uh, it was the EBI the rules. The ABCC rules, this, yeah. This is, no, EBI, EBI, rules, EBI. Yeah. This was back when Eddie EBI first became big. Mm -hmm. And for the listeners who don't know, uh, EBI stands for the Eddie Bravo Invitational. And this was, Charmaine started training right when submission-only grappling started to really become a big thing. Uh, back when I started, you had the IBJJF tournaments, and those are like, you, you have points, right? Mm. Like, if I pass the guard, if I sweep, if I go for submission, you get points. And most of the matches don't end in a submission. And then right around when you started training, the sort of jiu-jitsu landscape started changing. And then all of a sudden, leg locks and submission only started becoming huge. Mm. And right when you started was when the Southeast Asian grappling started playing with their rule sets, and they did EBI rules, which meant submission only. So you go, <laughs> you go in there like a month into training, and you, you don't know shit, right? But you were <laughs> tough as fuck. And so the rules were submission only. So you go in, and you're getting fucked up by these girls. I mean, if, it was, if they were scoring the points, you would have lost like 10 or 20 to 0. I know. But, in the over <laughs> <laughs> but, but after the regulation time, when you go into overtime, you s they either start you in the arm bar or they start you on some, someone's back. Mm. So they put you in a dominant position, and the person who gets the submission wins. So even though you were getting fucked up throughout these tournaments, you actually ended up getting a medal in your first competition because they started you on the arm bar or they mm. started you on the back, and you were so tough. Like, these girls were damn near breaking your fucking arms, and you didn't tap yeah, out. I know. Somebody got me in an uh, Americana. Dude, it was nasty. And it was, like, all the way... <laughs> And then, uh, and then you ended up tapping the girl in the when you started on the I don't know if it was on the back or with the arm bar. Yeah, and the you, spider you, whip. Yeah, the even though she whip. fucked you up, they started you on her arm and you tapped her and she didn't <laughs> tap you. And so the submission only rule set and your basically toughness got you to medal in your first competition when you were like only been training for a month. Yeah, but I think I was so tough because I knew nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only attribute you have. It's like you toughness. you think you can fight when you don't know anything, but then when you actually start learning you know it's not like you, you don't know anything yeah it humbles you to train yeah well it's it's an old adage right that wisdom is knowing enough to know how little you know mm -hmm. which is a, a really true statement right if you <laughs> there's this old i don't know if it's true or not and i've i read the i read the article when it came out but it was a few years ago but it said something to the effect of like the average man is like 4000% more confident that he can fight than he actually can it's like, yeah, there's 4,000% confidence that an average man would win a fight based on nothing. Mm. It's just the fact that you're a dude and you think you can fucking fight, but you have no idea. Then, and it's a good example, once you start training, you start to understand, like, oh, my God, there are levels to this shit. 
And only when you've done enough training to sort of look around and see how much you don't know, mm -hmm. then you quickly realize how vulnerable you are. Yes. <laughs> but if you, don't, if you don't have that experience, you probably think, oh, you know, someone swings on me, bro. I'm going to fucking block <laughs> that shit. I'm going to take them down. I poke. I kick poke. them in the groin. Yeah, kick them in the balls. And that's going to work. No, it's not. Might not work. And uh, <laughs> it's definitely not going to work. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely not. Unless you get some guy that also has zero experience and you're, you know, you're really physically strong or something like That's that. That's most people, right? They have zero experience. Yeah, but they're very confident that if uh, there were some sort of altercation that, you know, because I think it's this fantasy. Mm -hmm. like, I don't know about you. I don't know the female brain, but I know the male brain. And the male brain <laughs> says that, like, especially when you're young, you're like, you have these fantasies about, like, you know, some fucking, if you're driving, some asshole cuts you off in traffic. Mm -hmm. If you're uh, at a bar, someone fucking shoulder checks you or someone says something you don't like and you just have this fantasy about, like, fucking them up. Do you get this, Wagon? You get Yes, you get it too? Hell yeah. Okay, so this is just a universal trait. Maybe you're even drunker, but just something happens. Someone's an asshole. Someone pisses you off, and you have this little thought in your head. You're like, God, I wish I could just fucking, you know? <laughs> and people always have that thought. And in their head, you're player one, right? In your own head, you're player <laughs> one. So in your, your head, you think, oh, I do this, and I do this, and I do this. And those thoughts are really comforting until mm -hmm. you go with somebody who actually knows what the fuck they're doing. Or you get into a situation where all of a sudden the reality of the situation is upon you, and then you quickly realize that, oh, I, I didn't even know what this was. Well, and I have that thought, too, but I don't know about other girls. Like, if I ever go to a club or something and somebody, like, <laughs> like a dude, like, touches my ass or something like that, I want to, like, punch him. <laughs> or if a girl tries to, like, call me out or something, I want to, like, punch her. But I don't get that thought anymore. Maybe when I was a few years back, I do, but now not anymore. Yeah, I remember once a couple of years ago, you told me, <laughs> <laughs> you told me that you, you know, I don't even know if anything happened, but I'm, you just said something along the lines of like, I want to get in a street fight. Yeah, you want. Yeah, that's yes, what it was. I yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. You said you want to get a street fight, and I was like, oh dear, <laughs> oh dear. No, you do not. That was when I first started training. Exactly. That's why I want to train because I want to be able to do that. <laughs> but then when you, if the situation happens, sure. But then when you know enough, you will learn that yeah. you, don't, you don't want that to happen yeah. because, I mean, you kind of do. Things can go, <laughs> things can go you wrong. Kinda, you kind of yeah. want that to happen. People can die if but you hit your head on the curb. Sure. Yeah. But you w if you want to fight, there's a way to fight, right? Like, if you, if you want to do that, fight some. Here's the thing, right? If you want to fight, then go fight somebody who knows a little bit. Go, t go take an amateur fight. Like they're, they're low risk. You're not going to get hurt. You're most likely not going to break something. You're not going to get concussed. They stop the fight. You can. The potential exists. But the, the likelihood is pretty low mm. if you're well trained. You know, I was just at these SFC fights over the weekend. And those are a lot of those guys. And there were even a few amateur, a uh, few professional fighters, sorry, that should not have been in pro fights yet. Yeah. Because if you want to fight, there is a there's a circuit to do that, and that's the amateurs. Mm. And and I don't think in MMA that people have enough amateur fights because if you fight in boxing, then people will have hundreds of amateur fights. If you want to learn how to fight, you don't get in street fights. Mm. You you have amateur fights. They're they're big padded gloves. The referees know they're supposed to stop the matches faster. And basically, especially if it's MMA, mm. if you get dropped. Couple, I mean, you know, you wear the fat gloves in boxing. They wear the headgear. They didn't stop that because it's actually more dangerous. Mm. But uh, you know, they know that these are rookies essentially, right? And you can't let those people get hurt. You can have, I mean, some. I mean, I think Lomachenko had 200, 300 amateur fights before he went pro. 
That's the move. Because you build the confidence in amateur fighting. And this is even my philosophy on sparring. I don't think you should ever spar 100%. Ever. Ever. If you're the person that wants to have a fight, the only way you can really simulate what a fight feels like is to be in a fight. And some people will tell you, when you have your first fight, you need to have hard sparring. At least a couple times. You need to have really hard sparring. Mm. While I agree that you need to have hard sparring, you can never fully go 100%. If you go 100%, the only time, especially with a training partner, if we're training here at Stronghold, mm. and you're training with some girl that is coming in and you want to have a pro fight, your training partner will never come at you like someone will in a fight. Even if you're like, okay, we're fighting today. You're going 100%. That training partner is still, if they're a good training partner, at least, and maybe if they're a fucking asshole. But if they're or even you. Like yeah, but then you shouldn't be training with them if you're fighting. Yeah. But if, if they're a training partner and they're a good one, they can never come at you 100%. Because if you zig when you should have zagged, maybe you get eat a head kick and you're moving into it when mm. they throw it, and then all of a sudden you're fucking knocked out with a concussion on the floor <laughs> two weeks before a fight, yeah. which is a terrible idea. So I, I'm a believer that you should never do 100% hard sparring and training. You can only go like 60, 70, maybe if you're highly skilled, 80%. Mm. Because nothing is going to, no one in your training is going to come at you the way somebody's going to come at you in a fight. And the only way you can really feel that is in a fight. Mm. The pressure is just different. So if you want to have a real fight, that's what the amateurs are for because it's safe, it's more controlled. And if you ever want to get a real fight, that's the only place you're going to feel that. Even in a jiu-jitsu competition. You've done five or six jiu-jitsu competitions mm. now. Does anyone ever roll with you as hard as they roll in the... No. It's no. different, People right? People are trying to kill you <laughs> in the those competitions. Because yeah. they're stressed out, right? Yeah. Like the level of stress. Plus you only have white belt five minutes, blue yeah. belt six minutes. I got bicep slicer from this girl in one of the tournaments. And like she wouldn't let it go, but she knew it wouldn't work. It wasn't working, but it like fucked my arm out after that. It's also she kept on holding it. It's also illegal. Yeah. It's Okay, so for the listeners, there's a move in jiu-jitsu called the lasso guard. And the lasso guard is like, if I'm holding your sleeves and I'm on my back, I take my shin and I wrap my toes inside your bicep so that the sharp part of my shin like is right in the crook there. of your elbow. Yeah. And uh, it, it's a type of guard you can do to sweep people. Now, in, in lower-level jiu-jitsu competitions... You can always use the position, but there's a move called a bicep slicer where you basically hug the tricep so that the bicep, or sorry, so that the, the shin bone is going directly into the bicep. And it's an illegal technique for a reason because it attacks, the, it attacks the, the muscles in your bicep. And generally in jiu-jitsu, especially at the lower levels, you only do chokes and joint locks because joints, for example, if I break your elbow, that might seem like a catastrophic injury, but in reality, it's a few weeks, a month, six weeks to heal. If I tear a muscle mm -hmm. or I tear a ligament during a submission, that can take a year. Oh. If, you, if you tear the ACL, nine months. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's almost a year. Bicep, if you tear a, an actual muscle in your bicep, that will need surgery to repair most likely. That can take six months to a year. So there's a reason why the bicep slicers, calf slicers, heel hooks, anything that attacks a muscle or a ligament are usually reserved for higher belts, black belts, brown belts, whatever. And uh, the same thing can be true for like knees, attacking knees, like knee bars and toe holds, which also attack ligaments. People think it's the foot. It's not only the foot. Mm. You feel it in the knee. Mm. <coughs> and that's because those injuries, if you get them, are debilitating. If I choke you, you're fine, mm. right? As long as I don't choke you for like 30 seconds after the referee stops the match, you're going to be totally fine. Yeah. 
even if I break your arm, I can snap your shit in half. Like, your fucking elbow can be bent the other way. And six weeks, you can train again? That's a pretty quick... It, you dislocate the elbow. That's nothing, right? I mean, the swelling will pop up for three or four weeks, and then but after you that... just pop it back in. Yeah, but, I mean, you're going to have some damage still, and you're gonna yeah. it's going to be swollen and everything, but And every time you're, you want to... Somebody's going to get an armbar on you, it's going to be, like, not as flexible as you used to be. You're going to have to tap early, so... Yeah, you'll get some scar tissue there. I trained with this guy, um, Alan. It was Alan... Who was the brown belt that used to come to clinch? You remember? His name is Alan. Alan, right? Okay, mm-hmm. Alan. He uh, competed in Mima. He also competed in Tough China. And he would come to clinch when Charmaine and I were teaching at clinch. And this guy, uh, I'm going to show the camera, but for the people that are only listening to the podcast, he could only extend his elbow about three quarters of the way. Yeah. He maybe had, I mean, if this is a 90 degree, this is what, 110 degree? bend in his elbow 120, 110, yeah. something like that so he could only get his el- his arm about three quarters of the way extended he, he he couldn't go here and i remember like i put him in an arm bar one time and i had him in an arm bar and his elbow i'm putting it on the camera was basically just slightly further than 90 degrees the angle in his elbow and then he tapped out and i was like dude what the like what are you doing man you're a brown belt what the fuck are you tapping so early <laughs> for and then he showed me his arm and he's like oh i got my arm fucked up in an arm bar and now I can't straighten my arm anymore. And I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, God, like, what happened? He's like, oh, I, I didn't tap early enough. He didn't know. And now he's got that. I think surgery could repair it, but that's not Yeah, you don't want to screw in there or anything. Just want it. You got to do yoga, I think. Well, I don't know if yoga can fix that. I Maybe it could. Maybe. You might be right. Mm. You might be right, honestly. If he really rehabbed it. Stretch, stretch, stretch. Especially slowly. if he rehabbed it right after it happened, mm-hmm. as soon as it healed. If you wait years, probably only mm. surgery. But if you try to get in front of it early, you might you might actually be okay. Yeah, you're right. But we had, uh, you know, Steve, Steve, Steve Koenig. Mm-hmm. His knee, right? Yeah, he tore. He was in a competition. He tore his ACL in the competition. And I think he couldn't train for about nine months, nine, almost a year. He mm-hmm. was a year of your training. Mm-hmm. And that sucks for a lot of reasons, obviously the physical reasons. But, you know, he was one of those guys that got that basically lost a year of his progression in jiu-jitsu because of that, mm. which I'm not necessarily a fan of, you know, like. He had to get surgery done, and he had to rest from the surgery. Then he had to come back, drill, cannot roll. And then when he came back, everybody yeah. else got promoted all the time. Yeah. So the people, at that point, he was a blue belt. All of his f- contemporaries and his friends had gotten their purple belts already, and he's just kind of like watching this from the sideline, and it's just a shitty a shitty thing to have injuries like that derail you. Well, this is the this is the wife beating chronicles after all, so you got some you got some injury stories for sure. Yeah, you were teaching a suplex, remember? Yeah. And like we were just drilling. It was the last day that I was working at Trifecta. Yes, literally <laughs> the last day. It was day. literally the last day. We're about and to move was, to Malaysia. Yeah, the class was ending and we were drilling like suplex. So he like I, I was paired I was paired up with Sue Ann, actually. And then she had she was doing the suplex on me and then I don't know why, but I posted like that. Every other time that like she how? did it, I, it? like uh, with my elbow straight and my hand down like that. You're supposed to break fall when you get suplexed, right? But I landed with my arm out straight. And then I didn't dislocate my elbow or my arm, but it was uh, hyperextended. 
So, and, and that was like the first ever serious injury that I've ever had from training. And that was like two and a half years in training. So it, it scared me a lot. And then I, I, I tried to run into the changing room. Yeah, you got so mad at me. Because <laughs> it was you teaching the techniques. So <laughs> it's like, why would you do that to me? <laughs> I didn't do shit. Oh, my God. But did it you was hear this? Yes, I know. It was my fault. I did, <laughs> didn't break fall. No, what happened was I knew her arm was fucked up, right? She basically posted behind her. And when you post, you're supposed to post with your elbow bent. Because if your arm is straight and you fall on your arm, it will fuck your elbow up. There's a really famous fight. Uh, Mark Coleman fought Mauricio Shogun Hua in the finals of the Pride Grand Prix. And Mark Coleman won the fight because he did a double leg. And Shogun posted his arm with his elbows straight and his fucking elbow dislocated. I mean, his arm snapped so that his elbow was past his thumb. And he won the fight from that. And that's why learning how to fall in martial arts is so important. And so you're fucking screaming, right? And I'm like, oh, God, this is like, you know, my fucking wife is dead. Like, I didn't know <laughs> what the hell was going on. And then I, I go over to you, and I'm trying to look at your arm to make sure that your elbow yes. is not dislocated or your arm's not broken. And I'm like, let me see it. And you're like, no. And I'm like, let me see it. And you're like, leave me alone. And then you fucking <laughs> run off into the Dude, changing it was room. so painful. I cannot imagine <laughs> anything. I was like, it's so painful. I ran into the room. Everyone else was like, do we need to bring you to the... Yeah, the everyone's the terrified. <laughs> and like, you run into the changing room and like, lock yourself in. Leave me alone. In. No, don't touch my arm. <laughs> So you lock yourself in there, and then I'm, like, knocking on the door. I'm like, Charmaine, <laughs> let me see your arm. Charmaine, and you're like, go away. <laughs> and I'm just Dude, like, you got mad at me. I was mad at you because I'm teaching the class, and I need to find out whether or not you need to go to the hospital. Uh, yes. And you're like, no. And I'm like, well, I got to see it. And you're like, go away. I was wearing the gi, so he wanted to take it off, take my gi off to see whether my arm was broken. But, like, I, I don't know at that point whether my arm was broken or not. It was just so painful. You're just, like, <laughs> you're, like, hiding in the changing room. Because you're, you're like, like, let me touch it. Let me touch it. No. <laughs> and you're just, like, I think in your head you were, like, if I just pretend like this didn't happen, it will go away. Yes. And I'm, like, no, it's still going to be <laughs> fucked up whether you pretend like it happens or not. I just don't want you to touch it. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, Matt was, like, should we bring her to the ER? <laughs> like, is she going to be all right? Well, I was just, that's what I wanted to know. Like, if your arm just hurt then you can have her alone time. I just need to check first. And then we can, if there's a fucking bone sticking out, then we need to go. And if there's not, then we'll just give it some time and see how, right? Yeah, <laughs> but that was like the first ever injury that I've ever gotten. That was, that was like so serious. It wasn't even that serious. So <laughs> I kind of overreacted well, a you little could, bit. You couldn't train for about a month, about a month after that. Yeah, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, it could have been worse, but still it's, wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. Now, every time someone does an armbar on this arm, I have to tap early because I can always feel the pain. Yeah, you come. probably have some scar tissue, mm. scar tissue in the elbow. And then uh, well that one, that injury, thankfully, was not my fault. But some of the well other you ones. You were teaching the move? I was teaching the move, but I can't control, right? I mean, mm. if I'm teaching an armbar and somebody bridges too fast, that's not my fault. That's right? true. But other injuries after that have been my fault, so. <laughs> He knee barred me and then twisted my knee and I couldn't train for a month. That I don't take responsibility uh, for. Oh, you don't? No. Because. <laughs> <laughs> it was in a gi class, by the way, and I'm a purple belt, so <laughs> knee bars are illegal. Dude, trust me, when you're a purple belt. They're illegal. <laughs> I've been heel hooking you since you were a white belt, dude. I don't give a shit. There's no, there's uh, no rules in my dojo. What goes, goes. This is fucking gangster style. All right. <laughs> <laughs> No, but there are definitely some injuries. Well, that one was weird because I had you in a stretched out knee bar and 
for those that are listening, you can pretty much imagine what a knee bar is. I have my hips in front of your kneecap and I'm holding your Achilles, right? And then I stretch my hips as I pull your Achilles and it's going to straighten out and my hips driving into your kneecap will basically break your knee mm-hmm. and your, if you don't tap to it. And I had your leg fully stretched out and you're trying to, in the way that you defend it, one of the ways is you twist your ankle and it's like an arm bar. So if I'm, I'll show the camera and for the listeners, if I, sh- if I straight my arm out, if my thumb is pointed up to the ceiling, it's going to expose the correct angle for the arm bar. As soon as I turn my thumb down and I change the angle, the elbow is all of a sudden pointing up. Mm. And when the elbow is pointing up, you're not going to be able to break the elbow. I have to rotate and grab your thumb to point it up so that way the proper angle of the elbow is exposed. And the same rules apply to the knee bar. If I'm hugging your Achilles and your toes are pointed at my chest and I'm bridging my hips into your kneecap, if you turn your toes so they're pointing the other direction, the angle is going to change, and then it's going to my hips will be on the side of your knee rather than on the front part. Yeah, but you had it so tight that when I tried to twist, I was twisting my knee in like a two direction kind of thing. Like my elbow is like this, right? But I was twisting it like that, so my joint was being twisted at the same time. Yeah. It's so actually it's actually your ligaments. Yeah, the ligaments. S- the stress goes from the front of your knee to the side of your knee, and mm. it starts to hurt your ligaments. And what happened was you started to twist your foot, but I had your leg fully extended already. Mm-hmm. And you start to twist your foot to try to escape, and I grab your toes, and I pull it back. Mm. And when I pulled it back, that's when you felt the stress on yeah, your ligaments. Yeah, it was like almost like a pop, but th- then I was like, oh, God. <laughs> But oh, no. But it didn't actually pop. No, it didn't actually pop. But then pop. you were limping for a few days. Yes. The ligaments were stretched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were stretched. And, and then so the other injury that you caused me that was accidental was when I was holding pads for you. Remember at clinch? Yeah, yeah I, I he I was doing an uppercut for him. So I went like, jab, cross, uppercut. And then I held it right under my chin. <laughs> <So> <laughs> Which is a disaster. <laughs> and then he happened. punched like... I don't know, was it 50% or 100%? Or I was something? going hard. Yeah, you went hard. at least 70%. He punched me, and then my jaw shift <laughs> as I was holding the pet. Because I, 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 I did the patty cake movement thing, but then didn't do enough because you punched so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I fucking took your head off. Yes, like. I know. And then <laughs> I started, like, tearing immediately. Yeah, I felt so bad. You were like, why would you do that? You're so stupid. <laughs> I didn't say that. You said that. I, I was like, why would you say that? I didn't say you were stupid. I insinuated you were stupid. I didn't <laughs> say it out loud. I'm not that much of an idiot. So... <laughs> And you know what the ironic part about that is? You asked me before that, that same day, how to hold for the uppercut. Yes. So, again, for the listeners, if I'm holding pads, if I'm holding, like, let's say a jab or a cross, I hold the pads away from my head, and then I meet in the middle, and it's like playing patty cake, right? If you try to punch me, I'm going to slap your hand. So if you're throwing a right punch, my right hand meets you in the middle, and then we I slap you like that. If I were to hold the pad in front of my chin and I don't give you resistance, and I don't play patty cake, you're going to punch, and shit's going to hit me right in the face. And you asked me, (laughs) in that same training session. Right before I held Right before. Yes. Because you were asking me how to hold for the uppercut, and I told you if you hold for the uppercut, because you'd put it under your chin. And if I hit you with your hand under your chin, and you don't give me enough resistance, your hand is going to go straight up into your chin. 
and then that's exactly what happened. You held jab, cross, uppercut, and then your hand was here, and I'm throwing like a full power uppercut, and while it's happening, in slow motion, I see your fucking head getting torn off. Because <laughs> I see it, but I put so much po- force into the uppercut that it was too late. And I knew there was no going back, and I just saw my hand hit, and it went into your chin, and your fucking feet fly off the ground, and I'm just like, oh! I was like, so, I felt so bad. And uh, actually, the reason that, I, the only reason I was throwing those punches so hard is because this was like three years into your training, and when you start to get to that point, you have to be able to hold pads for high-level people, because you're helping out with the Muay Thai classes, and you know, here at Stronghold, you're, you're holding pads for everybody. And if you get a good guy who can kick, who can punch hard, mm-hmm. you have to be able to hold pads for them the correct way. So for years, I've been having you hold pads and you're learning and we're going slow. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start to throw harder because you have to learn how to get your weight underneath the pads. So that way you can hold for people that are good. Mm-hmm. So that way, if you get a really hard kicker, you're small. If you don't really fucking get your weight under the pads, that kick will knock you back. The same thing for the punches. So this is just to the point where I'm starting to turn up the intensity. Mm. So that way you can be able to be a good pad holder for high-level people. And then, uh, But you didn't quite have the uppercut <laughs> down. <laughs> Damn near took your head off. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. <laughs> and then I know you're going to, so you can, you can go ahead and tell the story about Joey. This one... This one is the only one that's 100%. 100% my fault. fault. Yeah. Other ones, like, shit happens. This one, bad coaching, 100% my fault. I take full responsibility. So it was specific training. Uh, specific training is, like, do you want to explain? What? Specific training is, like, when the coach starts you out in a position, whether it's, like, you being mounted on or you on top of the mound or, like, somebody has your back and you're trying to escape or somebody inside control and you're trying to get in back to half guard or close guard kind of thing. But in this position, I started out in triangle. So I had the figure four around the neck and the arm, like, like that. Like my legs are around here. And my legs were like in a triangle position. And then I was trying to finish the triangle choke on Joey. And shout out to Joey. Shout out to Joey. <laughs> <laughs> and then she picked me up. And then when she picked me up, Luke was like, slam her, slam her. But he meant it as a joke. (laughs) Because it's illegal to slam someone, even in a competition. Like, you cannot do that. (laughs) So To be fair, I was like, slam her, Joey. Slam her. No, you... I was clearly joking, but she... She obviously took it seriously. Well, it was 100% my fault. Because she's new. Yes. So you you shouldn't have done that. To your wife. Point <laughs> is, Joey listened. She slammed <laughs> me, and then I got concussed. <laughs> At the very least. Slightly, slightly concussed, because yeah. I, I puked after that, but, you know, I was fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> I am a fucking abuser, dude. Yes, I'm a, yes. I'm a domestic abuser. <laughs> I need a lawyer, LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she needs a lawyer. Okay. Take me to fucking jail, dude. Yeah, but... Yeah, no, that one was... That one was pretty bad. Which is weird, because I feel like I'm becoming a better coach over time, and then shit like that happens, and I'm like, I'm a fucking idiot, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Because she, she, she listened. To be fair to Joey, she's, so she's a good student, because she Joey, listened immediately. Joey, you should compete soon, because you're going to be a very good competitor. Joey, if somebody gets you in a triangle, slam them. <laughs> no, don't do, do that. It. Don't do, do that. <laughs> Go to the dark side. Hey, and uh, in ADCC, which just happened over this weekend... You're allowed to slam people out of triangles. Yeah, but not in here. most competitions, <laughs> not in you training. don't. Not in training. MMA, you can do that, right? Yeah. Mm. 
Muay Thai. You can't punch there's, after there's, there's they no land. Triangles yeah, there's and no shit, triangles and shit. But you can you can trip people and knock them out. It happens all the time. Oh, you do that? Yeah, Sam Chai, Sam Chai's a master of it. That trip that I show you guys, where like you fake the leg kick, and then you 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 basically. So if I kick you, I say I kick you in the ribs, right? You can catch my kick in in your armpit, and so you're basically holding the ankle in the armpit. Now, if you have the leg, and I step behind you and I kick the leg that's standing, so I have one of your arms in my armpit. If I kick the leg that's on the ground and I chop your chest at the same time, it will kick you backward. And then uh, your head will hit the mat. And there's been tons of examples of that trip where people are get really good at it. You you sweep the base leg, you chop the chest. You did that to me. And then you, I didn't hit your head though. I well, mean, I, I felt horizontal and then I mean hit I my hit. That's my that's my money move right yeah, now. I've been hitting on everybody was, in training. It was like it doesn't look as bad <laughs> as it. It really doesn't look as bad if someone else is watching yeah. us do it. But when you actually hit your hit on the mat, it like knocks you out. Like I saw birds flying. Yeah, remember I was joking around with you the one time. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, these stories are not gonna make me look good. We were doing <laughs> like combat muay thai so we didn't wear gloves no, we, were we were just slapping. like slapping all we it wasn't even muay thai oh yeah it was muay thai it yes. was muay thai but we were slapping we were basically bitch slapping each other no gloves yes we were just kicking each other and i was open hand slapping you, you. caught me and you were open hand leg, slapping me and then <laughs> you s you kicked me to the ground you tripped <laughs> me and i felt like horizontal hit my head on the ground no, what happened <laughs> <laughs> what happened was so she picked the fight with me to be fair no. you picked the, you did you started it you came over and you started slapping me and I was like, oh, okay, we're going to do this. So we kind of start slapping each other, and we're blocking them and shit. And then I hit you, I think, in the body with a slap. And you, like, hunched over. And then you were like, no, 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 we're done. We're done. We're done. And I'm like, no, defend yourself at all times. And then you think you turned around. You went into, like, a standing fetal position and <laughs> just swept your leg, and you went straight back. I didn't even oh. kick you. I wasn't even attacking you. Just No, you kicked me. No, I was trying to protect myself. <laughs> How did I get your leg then? I don't oh, know. I you tripped me. Yeah, but I don't think you actually kicked me. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Oh, this doesn't make me look good. <laughs> <laughs> but the good thing about you is that you're a good sport and you laugh about it. Oh, I, I might be mad at the moment, but then after I laugh. Well, you're getting better anyway. That's that's the secret. I've never, to be fair, I've never, the most I think you probably ever got hurt was with Joey slamming you. And my arm. But I think the head... The head is worse. Well, my the arm hurt more, for sure. That definitely lasts. I mean, you trained the next day after after Joey slammed you. Mm. You you came to training and did it the next day. But the arm hurts more, but the the head shots are more are damaging. More, way more damaging. That's what far more concerning. That's why I think that you shouldn't you shouldn't spar hard in training ever. If you want to be the person that wants to have a fight, or even if you don't, the biggest mistake you can make is leaving is having those gym wars. The gym wars that take away from the wars that you can have in the ring. I mean, if you think about the great, the great fighters, like even like someone like Sugar Ray Robinson, who had 120 plus pro fights, mm -hmm. and then some of these people have hundreds of amateur fights before they get into the ring, mm -hmm. and especially like the people that train like pre 2000s and the 90s and the 80s, those people fought in sparring, and you just think of all of the gym wars that they had, which were far more far outweigh the actual fights that they have in the ring. And you think of all of the sub-concussive blows that they get. Sub-concussive meaning exactly what it sounds like. You're not really getting concussed. But if you take hundreds of shots, you're sparring two or three times a week, right? A typical boxing match, 
you know, let's say it's six, eight, ten rounds. There's a lot of volume in those in those shots. And I always teach this, and this is a boss rooting thing. I mean, a lot of people say this, but I think I heard it first from boss. If I throw a head kick at you and you do this kind of block, mm. what I'm doing is I'm basically combing my hair and I'm covering my ear with my palm and I'm keeping my elbow tight to my ribs. If you kick me in the head when I'm having that hand up against my ear, even all of the force of the kick, even though it's connecting with my arm and not my head, all of the kinetic energy of the force of the kick is still going to travel through my arm directly into my head. So boss tells you to double block, and he tells you to patty cake like you would if you're doing the pads. Because if that hand is touching my head, the energy is still going to travel through my hand into my head. Unless I break away from my head to block that with two hands, mm. I'm still my head is going to absorb the impact of that kick. Mm. And the same thing is true in boxing, right? If you throw a hook, the block is to cover your ear. Keep your elbow in, and you comb the hair, right? That's one of the blocks. And if you block that shot, the energy of that punch is still going into your head. It travels through your hand. And if you imagine 10 years of training in a typical fight, hundreds of punches are thrown, even though maybe hundreds don't land. Sometimes they do. But even if they don't, if you're blocking those shots and you're still absorbing them to the head, that over the course of years and years of training is thousands, tens of thousands of sub-concussive blows to the head. Yeah, we saw the boxing match in SFC just a few days ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, it doesn't look that bad. I think I can do that. Like, boxing is not as dangerous as MMA is. But then, you know, people eat, like, hundreds of shots to the head from boxing. just doesn't look as damaging, but, you know, if you count it is a m way more damaging than an MMA fight because if it's to the hit in the MMA fight you just finish early and then you're done you don't get hit anymore but in boxing you just keep eating those shots and then it will wear you down later it's more damaging to you later yeah it's it's all about the headshots. Mm. I mean, I can hit you in the body over and over and over and over and over and over, and but it's it's the head trauma. Like that guy that died just recently, the there Russian were, guy. There were a few. There were two people, I think, in the last two months that died in, in boxing, and uh, you know, it's one of those things that I I I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast. I've certainly talked about it with you, which is um, Wu Gong. I don't know if you know this. Uh, did you you ever watch Olympic boxing or at least see it or anything? You see the you see the headgear they put on. They wear that big fat headgear. Seems safer, right? To, to put that thick padding on your head. Yeah, it's 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 a big thick foam. It's probably about an inch thick, and it's this this helmet that you wear basically. But uh, in the last couple years, actually, the Olympics banned that because what happens is, first of all, it's, it gives you a false sense of security, and the the pad is thick enough that it basically gives you license to throw as hard as you want at each other with relatively small consequences. If I'm not wearing a headgear, my defense is at a very high priority, right? If you're wearing a small glove and I throw a hard shot at you and you're not wearing a headgear, you're fucked, like plain and simple. So the logical thing would be, well, then you put a thick thing on and it will protect your head. But the problem is now my defense becomes undervalued because I have this false sense of security of the headgear. And uh, the IOC, the Olympic Commission, just recently made a decision that said they're going to ban that headgear. Because what it happened was when they had these headgear, people were just, it looked like a fucking bar fight, right? These Olympic it's finalists, like they are just <laughs> swinging because they're not worried about what's coming at them. 
But if you watch pro boxing, they're not winging haymakers like that because the consequences are so severe, the defense becomes a much higher um, priority. So you can't take those same shots. So therefore, your training has to include significantly higher uh, defensive training. And you get these guys in there, they're just swinging hard, full haymakers at each other. And all of these young boxers are getting brain damage. And so they had to decide, okay, how do we address this? And the way that they decided to deal with it was even if you're amateur in those, in those competitions, you can't wear the headgear because it gives you a false sense of security. It seems counterintuitive, but I've seen it in training. If people wear that headgear and they wear that stuff, it's basically just a license to fuck each other up. They'll just start swinging some because they're like, oh, you have a headgear. You're fine. So I can throw full power shots at you. But that's just not the case. If you throw that, even if you're wearing that thick pad, they're starting to realize more and more through training that, of course, the concussive blows are serious. But it's the sub-concussive blows that over time are actually severely damaging. Uh, I was trying to explain this to Charmaine. If I, if I throw a head kick and I knock her out, right, one, one head kick. What do you think is more damaging? And this could be interesting to even ask you as a layman. What do you think is more damaging? Hypothetically, I'll just give you a round number. One head kick, knock clean out, or 500 sub-concussive blows that you block. Which one do you think could uh, increase the likelihood of brain damage, CTE? You think one concussion or 500 sub-concussive blows? I used to also think it's like it's the first one. Well, it's, it's the hit kick. It, if you think about that like that, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. It's kind of hard to say, right? And this is what they're starting to realize now and now. So this is one of the interesting things about MMA compared to boxing, right? First of all, in boxing, there's usually a three knockdown rule. For example, I, I knock Charmaine down with a left hook, drop her. She has 10 seconds to get up. Now, let's say she's laid out, right? She's laid out, she's knocked back. She has 10 seconds to shake off her concussion. Now, she's most certainly concussed, but she can get up from that concussion in 10 seconds, shake it off, and then she can proceed to fight for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 rounds and receive hundreds of blows on an already concussed brain. Mm. So, now, we're not talking about sub-concussive blows. We're talking about post-concussion blows. Shots to the head after you've already been concussed. Now, not only can that happen once, it can happen twice, it can happen three times. Some bouts have no knockdown, uh, no minimum knockdown rule. So I can knock you down. Uh, I think when um, Joe Frazier fought George Foreman, I think he got knocked down six or seven times in that fight. Yeah, it's not good. And then stood up and received hundreds more blows to the head on multiple time concussed brains. I'll tell you 100%, that's more significant than one. Right. And so the thing with MMA is if I drop Charmaine to the mat with a kick or a punch or whatever. And in boxing, she would have 10 seconds to shake off that concussion and then stand up and eat more. In MMA, I'm going to follow her to the ground because ground strikes are legal. Maybe she takes two or three more strikes and that's it. The average amount of strikes you'll see in an MMA fight land is somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 mm. to 80. The average for a tile fight in boxing, multiple hundreds, four yeah, or like five hundred strikes. We saw seven hundred, right? And most of guy. them were to the head. And then on top of that, the post-concussion knockdown dropped out. And then if you look at something like Lethway, which is, do you know Lethway? Lethway's a... Headbutt. Yeah, they can headbutt. I, th I don't know if it's Cambodian or if it's like Burmese or whatever it I is. I can't remember. But it's in Southeast Asia, they allow fucking headbutts. And not only that, but if you're knocked out, I think you have two or three minutes 
people have been knocked out unconscious in the corner, unconscious for a minute. And then their coaches are rubbing their chest and slapping them in the face and lifting their legs and all this. And like, you just wake up and you're like, oh, you fucking go back out there and you receive all of those concussive blows to the head on top of that. And you can headbutt. Yeah, you so can it's headbutt. Brain to <laughs> brain to brain, man. Like, I mean, that kind of shit is fucking insane. And, uh, you know, I'm not one of those people that thinks only uh, MMA is without question safer than boxing in that context. It doesn't mean that you get a free ride in MMA. But they're, they're starting to really understand head trauma and how that will affect you long term. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing with MMA, too, is, like, if I – Again, drop Charmaine. Sorry to tease you, but you're the victim of my wife beating in this episode. <laughs> uh, if I were to drop her to the mat, I can punch her, I can kick her, I can knee her while she's on the ground, but I can get a submission. And that's often what you'll see is you drop somebody, you throw a punch or two, they turn their back, and then you can choke them, which is not high impact to the head at all. So that also can mitigate some of the damage that you take uh, compared to like a boxing uh, fight. Grappling is a lot safer. For sure. Sure, it's way safer. You can choke somebody. You break your elbow, fine. You rest and then come back again. You can train again. But like if you get CTE. No coming back from that. No coming back from that. That will affect you. That will hit you in later on in life, whether you like it to or not. Mm. Going to talk about NFL now. You want to talk about NFL? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like they, when they wear the helmets, they just like charge each other. And then most of them get a lot of CTE, right? Right after... That's probably the and most. And I think the career ends around, what, 30? Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy, right? Yeah. It's in, in MMA, you just prime when you're 30, but... Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That in fighting, your prime is at 30. Yeah. In NFL, your career is done at 30. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, fighting, throwing knees and elbows and kicks and fucking choking and, like, all of the shit you can do in MMA and that career span. I mean, some... Some fighters fight into their 40s. There's no, there's no middle linebackers. There's no line linemen. There's, those people aren't playing into their 40s. I fucking tell you that right now. Like, how is that worse than fighting? It's not. It's not supposed to be. You know, it's another bad one that gets uh, underrated is soccer, football. Because mm. if you imagine heading a ball that's getting kicked from the fucking goal line, if you're a goalie or a – is that goalie? Is that the right – Goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> Goalkeeper. I'm an American, man. We call it soccer. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. But if you're goalie, like in hockey, or a goalkeeper, and you imagine they, they kick that ball from the goal line, right? And then they kick that to middle field. And those fucking guys always head that shit. With the you're hit. heading a ball, coming, it's, I mean, I don't know what the, I mean. Uh, they know where to hit, though. It's like. No, there's no where to hit. No, like, where, where do you hit when you hit a soccer ball and you hit? But I don't it's know, a lot still of Singaporeans do. They like right, like yeah. That's still the, there's a spot yeah, where you that's hit. That's still your head. I know. I mean, that <laughs> the ball is hitting you. Think about it, an inch away from where your fucking brain and is. And the ball is hard. Yeah, man. It's hard. I know. <laughs> I've tried, tried to yeah, hit. Yeah, I've the done ball it too. I did it in it high school hurt, too. It hurt my and head. you think it's like a good idea, and then you fucking hit that, and you're like, fuck, oh man. Oh my it's god, like, my head. You might as well just eat a jab. In I the head. don't know how they do it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they're starting to find that. There's been studies that they've proved that you get CTE from oh, football, soccer? too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I uh, will say about MMA is the thing about MMA is that it's a new sport. It's only been around for 20 years, 25. Mm. UFC, about 25 years. And uh, so the jury's out. A lot of those early guys are starting to show signs of CTE. Actually, mm. I'm going to get Dr. Allen. He's, uh, he's the, the one championship doctor. 
He's a friend of Ron's. I'm going to get him on the podcast. He's already agreed to do it. We just have to hammer out the dates. Mm. But one of the things that I want to talk to him about is exactly that. CTE, sub and specifically subconcussive blows. Because there's no doubt if you eat a head kick or mm. knee to the head, concussions deserve their own protocol. And that has been studied. Mm. Con- everybody knows that concussions are serious and you need time to clear that shit. Nowadays, boxers are starting to take six months or a year off. Like uh, when Manny Pacquiao got knocked out by Juan Manuel Marquez, Freddie Roach made him take six months off, no contact. Mm. That's becoming more and more the standard, which is the correct move. But I'm more interested in the sub-concussive blows because I think there's already been, obviously more research needs to be done, but there's already been a lot of research on concussions and how that leads to Alzheimer's, CTE, any number of degenerative degenerative brain diseases, right? And uh, But I'm more interested in the sub-concussive blows. I'm more curious about the question of what's better, one concussion or 500 sub-concussive blows? It's very hard to – people will say apples and oranges, but there is some equivalent how at some point. How serious the one concussion? Like how bad is that one concussion? Well, there, that's another aspect of it is like how serious is the concussion that you get. And then of those sub-concussive blows, there's obviously a spectrum too. This is where it gets you get lost in the weeds a little bit because, you know, I can hit you one time and you block it. But if I throw a full power one, it might rattle you a little bit more than mm. if I just tap you. Both of those would technically count as a subconcussive blow because mm. you're not concussed. But there's obviously a disparity with the amount of damage that you take. Mm. But that's one of the things I want to talk to him about. And the other thing I want to talk to him about is hydration and specifically how hydration affects your ability to take a shot to the head because mm. uh one of the things that one's doing is they've abolished the weight cutting. So now you have to do a hydration test to prove that you're hydrated so you're not cutting shitloads of weight. But most other major MMA promotions don't have uh, any sort of weight cutting rules. It's just like if you make the weight, you can fight it where you want. Well, what about if my brain is dehydrated and I'm taking those shots to the head? There is no question that you can't take a shot like you can if you're hydrated. If you're dehydrated, your brain is mostly fluid. And if you take a shot to the head while you're dehydrated, it significantly affects your ability to take a shot. Like T.J. Dillashaw? Like T.J. Dillashaw. Yeah, when he cut so much weight. Right. See, I love that my wife gets MMA references. <laughs> I love that. You're right. He cut down to 125 pounds, and he was on PEDs. Mm. He got busted for fucking steroids after that. He cut that. so much weight. Like, when I saw his face and his body, like, yeah, it was like, I don't see. think he's going to win. And then, uh, turns out, he was really punchy. He Round got knocked one. out by Hens- Henry Cejudo early on. And uh, you, that's a really interesting point and a good reference because the jury still seems to be out. What they do seem to understand is that if you do dehydrate yourself, most MMA fights, you weigh in the day before, and then the next day you fight. It's about a 24-hour window, 36 Mm -hmm. most. They're starting to know, and it seems to be pretty agreed upon that your brain needs at least 48 hours to fully rehydrate. Mm. So not only... You know, at least two days. Yeah. So not only are you taking those extreme shots to the head, plus all those subconcussive blows, but if you're taking it while dehydrated, you're also at risk of dealing with even more damage because your brain's dehydrated. Mm. Something to think about, and I'm going to get Dr. Allen on soon, and uh, we'll talk about that. He's the one championship doctor, and he's the, the, the physician for a lot of the local uh, martial arts scene. So I think talking to him will be really interesting. Mm. Okay, guys, I think we're going to take a break here because yeah, yeah. I, I have to, to pee. pee. <laughs> All right. We both agree that we got to pee. So uh, thank you, guys. We'll be back shortly. Cheers.
Okay, everybody, this is Stronghold Podcast, episode six, and we're back with uh, Mrs. Charmaine Lim. <laughs> the wife. Almost leisure. O- almost. Yeah, mom's gonna give me shit if yeah. I don't change my name soon. White women are crazy about the last name. That's important. Do your parents have the same last name, Wugong? It's not really a thing in Asian culture, yeah. is it? To have the same last name. In Western culture, it's like a big deal. So the fact that Charmaine doesn't have my last name really offends my mom. <laughs> She's like, oh, you're not good enough for that last name because <laughs> it's also my mom's last name. So yeah. to her, it's very important. You didn't even know. You didn't yeah, even know that wasn't I, I a thing. Thought, I thought it was a thing. But your parents don't have the same last name. No, they don't. Which is weird because like the – need to move it? Oh, okay. Is that, is that better? Okay, cool. So uh, – but you – do you have siblings? Yes. So you have a sister. Do they have your dad's last name? And you have your dad's last name. So it's only your mom that doesn't have your family name. I think that's why it's a thing in Western culture. Because the same idea exists. But uh, you, you have the same last name as your dad? And your mom? Do you have yeah. siblings? Do they have your dad's last name too? So basically your mother is the only person in your family without your family name. So that, I think that's why in Western culture... the the wife typically takes the husband's last name, although it's becoming less and less common as time moves on. But the reason is because I think that was often the case is like the kids have the father's last name. The father has the father's last name. So the wife is the only person who doesn't have the family name. So they take the family name just so that the family name is exactly that. It's, it's the family name. It's a fucking sexist rule. I'm not saying it's not. But uh, I don't know. In Western culture, it's one of those things that's, that's kind of important. Even I, I didn't even know it was a thing. You so thought that you had your yeah, parents had the I, same last I name. Thought, I thought my mom had the same last name as my dad, but apparently not. She is Tan, and then my dad is Lim. So I'm Lim. So It's one of those things that didn't used to be an important thing to me. No. but Or it did used to be more important than it is now. But uh, I think the only reason, it's not an ego thing for me. The only thing that makes is it. Is it not? No, not really. Mm. I mean, I still call you Charmaine Lim. So it's not like an ego thing for me. It's just that I think it's nice for the kids and the parents to all have one family name. It doesn't even need to be my name. If it was some random ass name that we all created together, I, I would be okay with that. I just like the synchronicity of having. But what if I took like Charmaine Lim Leisure? Well, that's what I was thinking. That's pretty common nowadays. Do you think it's okay if I do that? Yeah. Because then your family name is still in your name. And mm. then also. There's a common name amongst the whole family. Then my kit will, our kit will be Lim Leisure as well. Which I think is fine. It's yeah. okay? Yeah. Because then, we've had this conversation before. Spanish people are like, uh, Hispanic people take like the dad's name first and then the mom's name last, yeah. right? You can hyphenate. Yeah. That would be another option. Or so it'll so be Leisure Lim instead of Lim Leisure, right? Well, it could be, <laughs> well, you can, yeah, you can hyphenate either way. I had some, like, I had some teachers that would hyphenate their name, so it could be your name first, their name last. You can do both. You can do one, or you can move the last name to the middle name, because mm. if you change your name, you can change the whole name. It's not like you can only change one aspect of mm. it, so I knew this girl. Sean helped me change my name. Oh, oh, Sean. Sean. called out. Because lawyer. Lawyer, <laughs> lawyer Sean. Okay, so one thing I want to talk to you, Charmaine, about before... We finished up the podcast was uh, being a girl training. You're the first girl I've had on the podcast. I, I hope to get more. We're a mostly male-dominated audience, I would suspect, because martial arts tends to lean that direction. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you're young in this thing still, and I have no doubt that over time you will have more and more women 
interested in training mm. not only under you but with you because it's very important to for young women to see a woman who's a high level martial artist because you have someone to emulate right you have someone to train with you have someone to look up to so those sort of role models and mentors in jiu-jitsu particularly but martial arts in general is very important so i wanted to get your take on what are some of the challenges of being a woman training martial arts maybe you can speak specifically to a singaporean woman what are the benefits and you know what are some of the maybe the traps that you can get stuck into well i can say like if you're i can speak for the smaller women in singapore because i'm pretty small so the training at first is pre really hard especially if like with a guy they understand that you're a woman so they go really light on you but if you're going against another woman who's around the same rank as you they don't go easy on you and especially if they're bigger than you it is it, there's a hurdle that you need to you need to gain their respect like how you would gain someone else's respect if they're if you're a guy training in You've told me else. that the women go harder on you than the men do. They do. They definitely do. <laughs> Why do you think it, that is? I I just think it's like it's a martial arts context so they're trying to see who's the toughest girl out there, right? So they they will go harder on you, but I think it's it's for the better cuz if you get their respect, then they will they will train with you like they're your friends. Mm. But before you get to that point, I don't know how to explain it, but it is I just get I just had to got get through that hurdle. Mm. And yeah, like when I was training at Trifecta, like I, I didn't do any martial arts training before that and then I just joined and then it it was hard. Every all the guys was uh taking it easy on me because I'm a girl, but the girls were not taking it easy on me. They were going really hard. So what would you say to like, because I feel like a lot of times there's some resistance to women training and a lot of times that will come from external sources. Mm. For example, the husband, the boyfriend, mm. or the father. Mm. So you'll get a lot of um, young women who maybe want to start training and then the father, maybe we're talking teenager, secondary school whatever mm. maybe the father will see the training they'll see that it's very physical guys choking them taking them down squeezing them like it's you know it's a very physical intimate thing so i think fathers of young women will t especially in singapore will tend to resist that and then you'll get a lot of resistance and this is true both ways but also because of you know the sort of difference in sexes you'll get some issues with Boyfriends not wanting girlfriends to train and then husbands not wanting wives to train and it goes both ways Sometimes you'll get the girlfriends that don't want the boyfriends or the husbands to train because it takes away time from the family Or takes away time from the spouse or whatever. I mean, especially for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's very physical So I mean guys roll with girls girls roll with girls guys roll with guys. It's all very There's a lot of physical contact so I can understand why a girl wouldn't want their boyfriends rolling with other girls and I can understand why a girl wouldn't, a, a guy wouldn't want a girl rolling with other guys, because it's a, a male-dominated uh, martial arts, right? So, like, 
What were you saying again? Well, I think I think that the important thing to note here is that you need to pick the academy that you train at carefully. Yes. I'll give a really quick story without <laughs> that you've heard. A lot of people haven't heard this story, but I'll say it. Okay. And uh, without using any names or any specific details because that will <laughs> that will expose a lot of information. Too much information. So I was training at a gym that was a pretty famous gym, and it was a gym that uh, – there were some UFC fighters that were training there, and there were some actually really high-level UFC. In fact, one of the guys that I was training with fought for a UFC championship. So that's as specific as I'll get. And the person that I was with at the time was with me, and at the same time that she was with me, she was also okay. flirting, let's say, flirting with one of the coaches at this gym. Messaging, yeah. Extreme flirting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how I can be more specific without giving uh, it away. Pictures. Oh, God. You're not, you're not supposed to say. You're not supposed to say. Okay, no more, no more specific details. No more specific details. I don't want to expose anything okay. because I moved on. But anyway, uh, the point of this was is that I was with somebody who was, for lack of a better word, and without giving out too much information, was basically having an affair with one of the instructors. And this is not uncommon. This mm-hmm. happens because the atmosphere of a gym is – very hierarchical, meaning that you have the coach on top and then you have their students and there's a lot of these power dynamics that go on. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a new person that's training, especially if you're a, new, a young woman that's training mm-hmm. and you're at this very alpha environment where it's just people killing each other, there, there's one dude on top and that's the coach. Mm-hmm. And some coaches take advantage of that. We talked about Josh Robinson in one of the last podcasts. Uh, if you want click the link at the end of the video there will be a link attached because it's the most viewed video on my channel Mm -hmm. talking about josh robinson he's a predator he was a sexual predator he was a coach in singapore that went to jail for four years for uh having underage sexual encounters with underage women in singapore he went to jail for four years because of this it's you can look up any of the details if you click on the video attached at the end of the link there's an article from Channel One Asia that gives all the details that I don't want to go into again mm-hmm. about this kind of guy. And the point of this is that there are predators mm-hmm. that are coaches. And it's not here. Everybody has the story of the yoga coach yeah. or the yoga instructor who fucked their girlfriend or the martial arts instructor, the jiu-jitsu instructor, the personal trainer. The This is a stereotype and a common stereotype for a reason because these people wreck homes. And one of the things that I think is really important about our gym is that you and I run it together. You teach the classes. I am managing. We're both owners. There's no bullshit that we ever have to deal with because everybody that walks in the door knows both of us. They know we're married. They know we're together. So there's no issue with any drama. When oh, it comes you, to oh, you just stay professional. I just don't think that. like you, you know, don't, don't go messaging other people if you're a coach, especially if you know that they're in a relationship Easier said than done. Uh, no, it is. Because this is the point of this is absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm. If you're the person who's at the tip of the spear, dude, if you're, tw- if you're a 25-year-old guy and you're the head coach at your jiu-jitsu gym and you have 100 students and a lot of them are girls and mm. you're – good luck. That's all I got to say is good luck keeping your shit together. It has, yeah, to be something, right. it has to be something that you prioritize, especially if you're single. Mm. It has to be something, and in, in, in my case, the person that I'm talking about was already married. Mm. 
So and they're still together to this yeah, day. Yeah, it's just like kind of. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's very suspect. Yes. But this is just the way that it happens, right? If you if you put that power dynamic on people who aren't prepared to deal with it, then the consequences are going to be what the consequences are, and a lot of people, most, are not going to be able to withstand resist, resist the temptation. Resist the temptation. Yeah. And one of the huge advantages that we have is that this is this is a what I call a mom and pop gym. We own this together. We do this shit together. We don't have to worry about all of that kind of shit. So I feel like for women who want to come train here, there's a level of safety mm-hmm. and a level of comfort with that you get when you bring your kids. Because, again, going back to Josh Robinson, this was a guy who not only did this with women, but also young kids. He got in trouble for showing a sexual video of himself with another woman to a child. A six-year-old. Was it six? Yeah. I, I saw mean, it in the, in the article. It was a six-year-old. I mean, so this is important because it's not only your wife or your girlfriend, but it could be your kids. Mm. It's so not even doing the martial arts. It's just like on the side. Yeah, on the side. To a dad he was training. Yeah. The kid was a kid of a dad that he was teaching. So, I mean, the level of fucking cringe and of insecurity... Is just off the charts, mm. right? And so not only is this a safe environment for the wives, the girlfriends, whatever, but the kids. Yeah, I'm not trying to move the point to something else, but did you see those uh, NUS students or NTU students that like committed some, uh, was it sexual crime? Like peeping Tom, yeah. And then because their grades were so high, the government was like, no. The judge was like, you're okay. Oh, I did see yeah. that. Because then, he was a good student, right? Yeah, he was a good student. So he shouldn't be punished so much because he's a good student. Because he gets good grades. I mean, listen, the, the thing with that is, is like people that show that tendency, especially young, as they get older, the urges that they feel to be a perv or a peeping Tom or whatever, they're not going to go away. They're going to get stronger. And if you think you can exonerate somebody because they're intelligent, how many serial killers are intelligent? How many fucking perverts are intelligent? Just because you're smart does not mean that you are mature and it doesn't mean you can resist this shit. And in my opinion, in these pursuits that are physical, where there's a leader like me or like you or like martial arts coaches or yoga instructors or personal trainers or any of these pursuits where there's a top-down hierarchy and there's one person in, tra- in charge, it's typically a man. And if it's a skill that sort of puts this top person on a pedestal, the environment is rife for creeps. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Because that power dynamic is very difficult to deal with if you're young and you're the leader, leader, quote unquote. This is why I fucking hate jujitsu politics. This is why I hate people that laud their authority. If you're the yoga instructor, if you're the jujitsu black belt, if you're the MMA coach, if you're the Muay Thai coach, if you're the head personal trainer, if you're the tennis coach, if you're the fucking golf instructor, if you're the whatever, any number of stereotypes, there's examples of these people. If you're the pastor, if you're the fucking pope, if you're the whatever, right? Anything where these power dynamics start from the top down and they trickle down and everybody worships that head, I fucking cringe. And I've done 
everything in my power to avoid that shit entirely. And it just seems to be something, whether you're the professor, how many fucking stories do you have about the university professor who fucks a student or the high school teacher or the fucking, again, the yoga instructor, the personal trainer, the tennis coach, the golf instructor, the bleh, pick your thing. It's just universal. People that think those power dynamics don't exist at the local level, they're crazy. And then someone like you in particular understand you haven't seen it. I mean, you, you've seen it because you, you, you know it's happened to other people in our community. Josh Robinson is one example, but there, there are multiple. There are people teaching at gyms right now in Singapore who've fooled around with multiple students. Because multiple. it's so physical. Like, it's very hard to get out of it. The power dynamics. Yeah. The power dynamics are hard to resist at both ends. If you're the new person who sees the coach and, oh, this, this person you're is You're in a, awe. Yeah, so. you're in awe of their skill level and of their charisma and of whatever it is. And then if you're on top, you're, you're being praised for all of these things. Like, that's a fucking trap. And imagine, in the example of Josh Robinson, that it's your kids. You think your kids are safe. Look, pick if you're going to bring your kids to do anything, but especially if it's some sort of physical skill like that. Be careful where you send your kids to because if you think that this doesn't happen here, it doesn't happen there, there's examples of it happening in the last few years mm. to a fucking maximum creepy level. And so we, we run this thing together. You know, you teach the kids. They come in. You're a female trainer here. Everybody needs to feel safe. That's hugely important to me. And not only that, but, you know, I tell people that I think – I'm not 100% sure. I know Major used to be a, a teacher when he was in Taiwan. I don't know exactly what he taught and like what the level was. But I think that within Singapore, I'm the only person who coached here that used to be a local school teacher. that used to teach school in Singapore. Mm. And that's really important because who are most of these coaches? Most of them at the big gyms are foreigners. They're either Brazilians or they're Thais. And they're people that are not vetted here. It's usually one coach like... Give Evolve as an example, right? Evolve, like Brojinho or Almiro or the coaches, uh, they were. They recommend somebody that they know at a gym that they work at in Brazil. Or let's say that it's one of the Thais. Whoever the head Thai trainer is knows some guys in Thailand and they bring in the coaches. It's based on their word, but they don't actually know from the ground level who these people are a lot of the times. There's a lot of coaches. It's a, it's a revolving door mm. of coaches. And... If you're dealing with a trainer that's a foreigner, especially if they're young, if they're in their 20s or 30s, and you're going to bring a trainer into Singapore to teach your kids, you better be careful. Mm. That's all I'm saying. You better be careful because you don't know them. You don't know their history. And these, a lot of these things are traps. One of the things I love about Evolve is they have, I won't say a zero tolerance policy, but it's a strict policy on the teacher's having relationships with the students most of the time if you do it maybe you get one and then if you do it again you're out if you have sex with the students you're gone a lot of the time they've made some exceptions bruno pucci and angela lee being an example right they they got together and mm. they're married now so yeah it's not to say that there aren't exceptions to the rule because there are i'm with you yeah. i didn't meet you as a student i met you before you were a student but mm. then you came to train my rule is you get one mm. get one if you move here, I hire you as a coach. 
and you want to start a relationship with a student, you get one. I mean, you I trained pick. before I met him. I went to Evolve. I went to Fight G. And yeah. then I went to Trifecta. So we didn't meet at the gym. Yeah. Uh, but you get one. You better pick it carefully because you're not getting two. Because if you get two, the word's going to spread. This student's going to talk to this student. And then there's this fucking weirdness in the gym that exists. And my business, you can't have that. Mm. You can't have you can't have that. Like, whoa, bottom line. And... It's one of those things where you got to have a real strict policy on that because that, that shit can go to your head. I mean, you, you dealt with it personally. Exactly. So, you, you know, better than anyone else. <laughs> and and the, the worst part, from my perspective, and I think we'll, we'll finish off on this point, is that, uh, you know, you see these people as mentors, which I did, right? Mm. This was one of my coaches. Is your coach, yeah. yeah. To be sending this to a person that I was seeing at the time and then to say that to know that this kind of thing happened when this was a coach, this was a person that I trusted, and this was a person that I was with, and to know that that happened is something that very hard to get that trust back. Mm -hmm. And I know that this wasn't even me specifically that happened, but it was multiple people in the gym. So it didn't only happen to me. It happened to other people too, and I knew those other people. So we'll wrap up on this point, but... Be careful where you send your family. Be careful where you send your wife, your girlfriend, your kids, because there are these power dynamics mm. at play. And uh, if you choose wrong, you could be the victim of a Josh Robinson. You could be a victim of any number of... And I'm, I'm going to say, too, but don't be overcritical on your partner training, too. Not everyone's going to be like his ex-partner. You know, people have self-control, too. Like... It's a good point. Yes. So. Most of the time, it's fine. Mm, most of the time, it's fine. But you could end up in a position that gets out of control mm. before you realize it. But actually, you do bring up a really good point because I think more often than not, a lot of the reason that people quit training is because their spouse. Mm. And not because of something bad happens, but because like, you know, maybe you're the You don't guy. trust your spouse or something like that. No, not even that. It's just like the, you're, maybe you're the guy that wants to train, mm. but your girlfriend wants to see you more. Mm, yeah. And she doesn't want you to go train so much because if you're training four or five days a week. Oh, you work five days a week and then you have to train and then, you know, then they don't like, get to spend time. Especially you have kids, right? And you need to be spending time with your kids, but you feel like you really want to exercise and train. And you can get trapped up into those dynamics. And I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't train. You got kids to take care of. You got to take care of your kids, right? You got a partner to take care of. That's number one. Yeah. Without question. But you also have to let your partners do the things that they feel like they need to do. People got to have hobbies. Yeah, you got to have hobbies. You got to do your thing. And uh, just find the right place to train. Do some yeah. research. Train multiple gyms. Usually, ladies, correct me if I'm wrong, you can pick up on some vibes. Yeah, you, you definitely can. And if you pick up on some vibes and you still decide to stay, then it's, you know, your fault. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you wanted to pick up on the vibes. Maybe. Maybe you do. <laughs> But most of the time, I think people are smart enough to stay away from that, especially yeah. if you're in a relationship. So and a good one. Yeah. And a good one. You should have a good relationship with your coach and your, your partner. Mm. And uh, maybe they should even should know each other. That would probably help. Yeah. So, you know, if you've got your kids, you got your family, just be smart. Pick, pick the place to train. You know, if you, if you come in and train with me, bring your wife, you know, beat them up a little bit, as I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll end on that point. Yeah, we'll, we'll end on the wife beating because that is the name of the episode. <laughs> All right, everybody, this is Stronghold Podcast, episode six, with my wife, the beautiful Charmaine Lim, leisure, <laughs> maybe. 
leisure. Yes. <laughs> Sean, help me. <laughs> uh, Ron, she needs a good lawyer still, so get that shit sorted out before I beat her up even more. <laughs> so you can find me, uh, Lucas Leisure, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, Charmaine, give them your details. Charmaine LSM on Instagram and Charmaine Leisure on Facebook. Oh, shit. It's Leisure. Oh, I've brainwashed her. She's already fucking... I've already brainwashed her to take the last name yes all right everybody this is the stronghold podcast please like share and subscribe i hope you guys enjoyed the video please click one of the videos it's going to pop up on your screen and link to the other videos if please you like do. it and uh cheers thank you guys bye